Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. It's a week like today, this week when I'm fairly desperate for bad news. No, sorry, for good news even. There's enough bad news. There's enough bad news. Is anybody else ready for some good news? Um, we have good news tonight. But we live in a world where most of the news seems to be bad. Open the newspaper, open the website, the news website, and it doesn't seem to me to be getting better. And there's a hurricane coming, apparently. It's just like... Worse and worse. And we're living in a culture that is angry and hostile and negative and divisive and depressed and despairing and cynical and a pall of darkness seems to hang over our supposedly enlightened heads. We seem to be going downhill when we were, we were promised increasing progress. The... People would get better, that we would continue to evolve in various ways and that if we just had more information, that would solve our problems. And we've got all the information available at our fingertips and so little wisdom. We were told, we thought, perhaps, that if we invented enough technology, we would make life pleasant and meaningful for everybody. We thought, or maybe we were taught, that when science and psychology and sociology and all the other ologies came together and were brought to bear upon our culture, that all the genius of the human mind would end up bringing us into some kind of utopia where everybody would just get on and everything would be great and there wouldn't be all this pain and all these problems because we would finally live in the better world that we were creating. We thought we'd have all our dreams come true, but so many things just become a nightmare and turn into despair. No matter how much we know, how much we search on Google, no matter what we invent, no matter what understanding we get of the human mind, no matter what we're told will help us to have better human relationships. People are sadder and lonelier and more frustrated, I think, than they've ever been. We can't overcome, it seems, the continual pressing, compelling reality of our own sin. And that's a word you won't hear anywhere else. I know it's a word people these days don't like to hear, don't want to hear, but whatever the bad news, whatever the presenting problem of this world, the Bible will track it right back to this one cause, this single cause, sin. Now, sin expresses itself in various ways. Sin expresses itself in selfishness. Sin, at its very root, says, I am Lord. I choose, I'm in charge, 
I make my own decisions. I'll do what I want. It wants to affirm man as God and God as not God. It wants to replace God. The centre of sin is I. Sin is self-centred. It's about me. It's about me satisfying me. I want to make my life more comfortable. I want to satisfy my desires. I want to do my own thing. Whatever my thing is. And I will press that to the limits that society will tolerate. And even if they won't tolerate it, it's because they're not tolerant. And so I'll do some more until it's tolerated. Sin is insatiable. It continues to consume until it consumes everything in its sight. Whether it's people or things, whether it's a possession or a friend, whether it's a career or a family member or an acquaintance, whenever anything ceases to satisfy me, it can be discarded, thrown away like an old shoe. It doesn't matter anymore. Sin creates a smaller and smaller world for those who demand their rights, who use and abuse one another in business. In politics, in marriage, in whatever we call love these days. Sin perverts, sin twists everything. The hunger for gain, for sex, for fame, for popularity, for thrills. It destroys those it addicts to themselves. And causes them to destroy everything and everyone around them. Sin promises self-fulfillment, but leaves the consumer consumed only with themselves. Sinful self-focus leads to inability to sustain happy, meaningful relationships with anybody else. Selfish people can't do that. They're unable to genuinely love, unable to give sacrificially, unable to forgive completely, unable to build joyful lives because of the pursuit of pleasure. Greed dominates, then alienates. The more you have, the less you really have. That's bad news. Anybody ready for the good news? No, you're not yet. I, I want it to be worse. <laughs> it's all about Jesus and Jesus is Lord. We're in this series. We're looking at it morning and evening. Jesus is Lord. And that's what we're looking at today. Jesus is Lord. It's all about Jesus. But to really get the bad news. See, I was in the police for a number of years. I saw how bad the world can be a lot. But that didn't convince me about Jesus that much. The bad news had to get really, really bad before I was ready for the good news. You only see how good it is when you really let yourself reflect on the opposite. Because one of the consequences of living in a sinful world is it produces deceived people. And those deceived people at times know they're deceiving themselves and so at times they will feel guilty. It does happen. And guilty people end up shameful people, full of anxiety, living with this terrible tension and trying to find relief. And they end up sleepless, they end up drunk, they end up ill, they end up suicidal. 
People who don't know what to do with their sin try to bury it. They buy more things, get more experiences, take more drugs, sleep with more people, go on more trips, whatever kind of trips. Go to someone who will help you blame somebody else. But it just leads to further isolation and alienation and you end up with this anxious, fearful person, afraid of people and the world around them, a person blaming everybody else for their problems in her life eventually will build walls that block out more and more people from their life. And when this person looks into the future, all they see is that it's so bleak and hopeless. People end up stuck with brooding anger or wreaking havoc in the world that they have no idea what their place in it is. And they wish sometimes they were never born into. The news is bad. Their life has no meaning and after death, there's no hope either. The best human philosophies offer is endless nothingness because it all just started with random chance and we'll keep on going that way which some people would prefer to the interminable meaninglessness of this life. See, in the 21st century, surely by now, you would think, as you look at the world around you, clever as we are, capable as we are, educated and enlightened as we are, capable, powerful, wonderful as we are, you would think, wouldn't you, that some educationalist, some psychologist, some Government figure would have been able to solve these painful realities. But thank you. <laughs> but the heart, J. John, who's going to come to launch, says, the heart of the human problem is the problem of the human heart. And the fact is, we can't do surgery on ourselves like that. No person has the capability to make their own heart better by themselves. That's the bad news. I could go on. But I think you're ready for some good news. Okay? It's been there all along. The first four verses of Romans, actually, all of that in the original Greek in which it was written is one long sentence. And the problem with any long sentence is you can easily lose the main points and miss the details. So you have to split it up for yourself in order to figure out what it's about. But when you do, when you see the gospel... The good news, it is really good. It is the gospel, it says, of God. Promised in the scriptures regarding his son. It's about his nature. It's about his sonship. Jesus Christ, our 
Lord. Lord. That's what makes Christianity unique to any other religion. Because Jesus Christ is not like any other person. He's not like any other religious figure or any other ideology or philosophy. So that's why we are unashamedly all about Jesus at Ivy. We're saying that and we're seeing why every week in this series. And today, the unique focus, even in a bad week, is that Jesus is Lord. In every circumstance, every situation, Jesus is always going to be Lord. He is the Lord. Part of the uniqueness of Jesus Christ, the reason this is still good news, or whatever the bad news is, is about his lordship. See, we live in a country where many people have rejected church as a place to get any of the answers that they're looking for. We live in a culture where many people have rejected religion. But I don't actually believe that many of them have actually rejected Jesus. Because so many have never really heard of him, apart from maybe as a swear word, or the picture of him that they have rejected is a picture that anybody who looks at the Bible and gets to know him would also reject and say, that's not him. That's not the one I'm talking about. That's not the way. That's not the truth. That's not the life. Even so many people who actually still bother with the church end up settling for some anemic, shallow, emaciated form of, of Christian religion instead of Jesus. Whereas in the New Testament, everybody who ever really met with Jesus, they were transformed. See, in our time, the gospel has been downgraded. The good news isn't actually that good, and it isn't. People don't think it's news. It's been redefined and repackaged and re-offered as a kind of add-on if you want to make your life a bit nicer and better. Or you can make a decision to simply accept Jesus as your saviour because he's your friend and he loves you and he approves of you just as you are. And so we're told if you will just accept him, pray maybe one quick prayer, however you live, it doesn't matter, you'll go to heaven when you die on his ticket. And millions of people around the world continue to buy into that idea, and millions already have. Why wouldn't you? Because you can have freedom, you can have forgiveness without repentance, you can have justification without sanctification, you can have heaven in the next world, however you live in this world, without bothering with all that obedience stuff here, all that inconvenient stuff. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he warned this. The chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. Was he right? Seems to me... That's what's on offer. But it's all okay when my friend Jesus is just there to be just my saviour, my rescuer, my forgiver, my approver, my self-image upgrader, but not Lord. You see, when the gospel preached stops with Jesus' saviour rather than starting with Jesus' Lord, it has no power to actually change a life. 
There's no power of salvation in that gospel. And we shouldn't be surprised when the result is we hear people saying, well, I tried that and my life didn't get better. And bad things happened. So I'm done with that. I thought he was my friend. I thought he was supposed to help me. But then that happened and he didn't help me. In 1966, A.W. Tozer lamented the loss of a gospel that really changes people's lives. And he wrote a little essay called The Old Cross and the New Cross, just to contrast the two things. I'll just read some of it. Mostly undetected, there has come in modern times a new cross. It's like the old cross, but different. The likenesses are superficial. The difference is fundamental. From this new cross has sprung a new philosophy of the Christian life and from that new philosophy has come a new type of meeting and a new kind of preaching. It employs the same language as the old but its content is not the same. The old cross would have no track with the world. The new cross is a friendly pal. It lets the man still live for his own pleasure only now he takes delight in singing choruses instead of singing bawdy songs and drinking liquor. The accent is still on his enjoyment, though the fun is now on a higher plane. The evangelist does not demand the denial of the old life before a new life can be received. He seeks to key into public interest by showing that Christianity makes no unpleasant demands. The new cross does not slay the sinner. It redirects him. It gears him into a cleaner, jollier way of living and saves his self-respect. The philosophy of this kind of thing may be sincere, but its sincerity does not save it from being false. It is false because it is blind. It misses completely the real meaning, the whole meaning of the cross. The old cross is a symbol of death. It stands for the abrupt, violent end of a human being. The man in Roman times who took up his cross and started down the the road had already said goodbye to his friends. He was not coming back. The old cross made no compromise, modified nothing, spared nothing. It slew completely and for good. The faith of Christ does not parallel this world. It intersects it. In coming to Christ, we do not bring up our old life to a higher plane. We leave it at the cross. We who preach the gospel must not think of ourselves as public relations agents sent to establish goodwill between Christ and the world. We must not imagine ourselves commissioned to make Christ acceptable to big business, the press, the world of sports, or modern education. We are not diplomats, but prophets. And our message is not compromise, but an ultimatum. God offers life, but not an improved old life. He offers life out of death. It always stands on the far side of the cross. What does this mean to the individual who would find life in Christ Jesus? Simply, he or she must repent and believe. He must forsake his sins and then go on to forsake himself. Let him cover nothing, defend nothing, excuse nothing. Let him not seek to make terms with God, but bow his head and acknowledge himself worthy to die.
Having done this, let him gaze in simple trust upon the risen Saviour. For from him will come life, rebirth, cleansing and power. The cross that ended the earthly life of Jesus now puts an end to the sinner. And the power that raised Christ from the dead now raises him to a new life along with Christ. Final bit. Dare we tamper with this truth? Dare we erase the lines of the blueprint or alter the pattern that's been shown to us? May God forbid. Let us preach the old cross and we will know the old power. See, I've got some apps on my phone down there that I got for free. Downloaded them for free. I have grandkids and uh, I, I've, it's a babysitter. <laughs> and, um, and they love it and they play with them. But then after a bit, you know, you have, there's always an advert that comes up which basically says there's a whole, whole extra levels that you can have of this. But the full version costs. That's the problem. And that's why I don't want to buy the full version. I want to stick with the free version. And the church now, I think that's, that's what's happened with so many people when it comes to Christianity. There is salvation and it's, it's the free app. It doesn't cost you anything. You call Jesus saviour, you get your sins forgiven, you know, he just is there to help out, answer the odd prayer, free pass to heaven. Then there is Lord. And that's like another level. There's disciple. It's an optional thing for some people. It means repentance. It means holiness. It means a change of life. It means I don't get in charge of me. It means cost and sacrifice. And so people say, oh, why would I do that? Why, not? why wouldn't I stay with the free version? It gives me what I need. Does the job. Here's the problem. That's not the gospel. The gospel is all about Jesus. That gospel is all about me. Look at Romans 1 again. Right at the start. See, the gospel is not a program, it's a person. Jesus Christ. The gospel is not an upgradable product, it's an unchangeable person. The good news of God is regarding his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is saviour. He does save us. But he's Lord. And you can't divide him into pieces and say, I'm only having the saviour one. It's wonderful to focus on Christ as saviour. I love all the songs that we sing about Jesus being our saviour. Guess what? There are so many more of them. You try and find ones about him being Lord. We don't write that many songs about Jesus being Lord. And worship can become about me being blessed rather than me blessing the Lord. The first New Testament worshippers were a bunch of shepherds invited by the angels to meet him and celebrate who Christ was, the Lordship of Christ. They said, do not be afraid, I bring you good news. The gospel of great joy which will be for all the people. There's only one good news. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. Who's the saviour? Christ the 
Lord. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul describes how the lives of these believers in this church were transformed. He says, just, next one, please. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. He's not, there's not like upgradable extra. This morning here, we looked at, I looked at Philippians chapter 2, one of the earliest Christian hymns. It's all about the lordship of Jesus Christ. It finishes up by saying, And God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, Lord to the glory of God the Father. In his letter to the Colossians, Paul, you know, I've, I've had that one already. I'm repeating myself. See, salvation is free. But it cost the old life. I just got a new phone. It's down there. It's really nice. A friend of mine, I was in Egypt. I'll talk about that at some point. This friend of mine had a really nice video camera phone. And I, and it, I thought, actually, it'd be great for me to have, be able to do those kind of videos. Mine doesn't do them very well. So when I got back, I thought, I need to upgrade. So I rang my company. Only problem with the upgrade Two things. One, it costs. Two, I have to give the old one back. Romans is well known as Paul's most developed theology. And as we've seen, it starts off with him writing, the gospel he preached is the gospel of God regarding his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And you look at Paul's life and his own conversion, you see that's how it happened for him. Jesus is saviour, but Jesus is Lord. He was on the road to Damascus, you know the story. He's angry, he's persecuting the church. He wants to just go and do some more angry arresting. When suddenly this light comes and blinds him and speaks to him, he falls to the ground and he says, who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city and you'll be told what you must do. He didn't just receive Christ as saviour. He first met him as Lord. He didn't like at some point decide to make him Lord. On the day of Pentecost, Peter's first sermon, he tells the gospel to people. He says, God has made this Jesus who you crucified both Lord and Christ. He's saying, Jesus is Lord. Your problems come from the fact that you are living in sinful rebellion against him. It's a big problem. And they are cut to the heart, it says. And they say, what must we do to be saved? What do we must be doing? He says, repent. There's salvation, there's grace, there's mercy, there's forgiveness. The free gift of the Holy Spirit is it comes from Jesus Christ, the Lord so, turning to Christ means turning from sin. It, it means I'm turning from the sins that I'm asking him to save me from. You can't ask him to save you from your sins, but not turn you from them. Doesn't make sense. That's why Paul later writes, sin shall not be your master. Because you've got a new master now. That's the implication. You've got a new Lord. See, when the first Christians declared Jesus Christ is Lord, they were saying, we are his servants. We are his slaves. 
Paul, a servant, literally doulos, slave of Jesus Christ. That's who he says he is now. Voluntary slave, bought and paid for. Bought, Peter says, with the most precious blood of Jesus Christ. It says, you are not your own, you've been bought with a price. See, in ancient Israel and in many other societies, if somebody owed a debt that they couldn't pay, they could be, become enslaved to a person. They would work to pay off the debt if they could. Sometimes the whole family would go into that kind of debt. But unlike other nations, God, in his mercy in, in Israel, gave these laws that were meant to protect the freedom of his people. So you could be employed by somebody that you owed and live effectively as a slave, but you, you weren't fully a slave because in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 25, God said this, if one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, do not make him work as a slave. He's to be treated as a hired worker. So he's a servant, but he's not a slave. See, if a person has to sell himself and become a slave, that's going to affect generations. There's, no, there's never going to be freedom out of that. So the cycle will just continue. So God gave additional laws to protect the poor. Every seven years, all debts were off. All debts were cancelled. Have you read about this in the Bible? The idea was that nobody was going to be stuck forever. And it wasn't just that they were released. They weren't to be sent away empty-handed, they were told. The, the person who was being released would be given, have to be given by their master a generous gift. A sheep. Thank you. Some wine. Thank you. And some grain. But imagine, imagine this. Imagine, and this is written into the Bible, if after six years of working for this master, you love them. You love the family. You love the father. You can't imagine living without them. If a servant came to the conclusion that life serving this family that he was with was better than any other life that he could imagine, then he had an option. And the Old Testament made this extraordinary provision. He says this, I'll read it. If your servant says to you, I do not want to leave you because he loves you and your family and is well off with you, then take an awl and push it through his earlobe into the door. And he will become your servant for life. It's like somebody saying, I'm not leaving this house. And you get the nail out and you pierce their ear. And he's like, go on, put it in. I don't want to go anywhere else. I volunteer to be your slave. I volunteer to be your servant. I don't want the sheep. I don't want the grain. I don't want the wine. I want you. You're my Lord. A guy called Jim Packer, J.R. Packer wrote this. The repentance that Christ requires of his people consists in a settled refusal to set any limit on the claims which he may make on their lives. I'm going to read it again because it's awesome. The repentance that Christ requires of his people consists in a settled refusal to set any limits on the claims which he may make on their lives. That's what it means to say Jesus is Lord. Anything less, I'm still Lord. 
no limits. See, we were promised by our society, by technology, by all these philosophies, a life without limits. But it actually only comes through Jesus Christ. When we say, there's no limits on what I'll do for you. A life for Jesus is a life without limits. Not because I get to do everything I want to do, but because I do everything he asked me to do. So tonight, because he made you and bought you and paid for you, Jesus Christ lays full claim, no limits, on your sin, so he can save you from it, but also on your obedience and your energy, on your money, on your time, on your dreams, on your goals and aspirations, on your career, on your travel plans, on your past, present and future. See, the way it got started for me was when somebody I'm now married to gave me a Bible and in that Bible she'd underlined a verse, Mark 8, 34. Jesus said, if any man would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's where it got started for me with Jesus is Lord. And then in Luke, he actually gives the reason for that. He carries on with that. He says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. If you try and keep your life from Christ, you'll eventually lose it. But if you lose your life to Christ, that's the only way you'll ever find it and gain it forever. We're going to pray. And we're going to pray and say Jesus Christ is Lord. But before we kind of say, Lord, be Lord in this situation over there. Be Lord in, for those people. Show yourself to be Lord in the government and in this tragedy and in these other things. It has to start with saying, be Lord in here. Be Lord of me. Or it doesn't really matter. Two Corinthians five fifteen. Christ died for all. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and was raised again. It's annoying when you get convicted by your own sermon. And you realise that there's so much um, in the Bible that calls for a voluntary obedience and a laying down of my life. But Lord, as best as I can, as best as I know how, because you were nailed to a cross for me, because you were nailed through your hands and through your feet so that I could be free and you've proved yourself to be the Lord and you've proved how much you can be trusted and how much you love me by being pierced in that way then Lord I'm, I'm saying you could I'd, I'd pierce my ear to the door I'd, I'd, I'd put a nail through my ear to the cross to be close to you to be your willing servant to go where you want me to go, to do what you want me to do, to live how you want me to live. And Lord, actually, that's the, that turns out to be the best way. 
all the other ways. I've tried lots of other ways and they've, they've been empty in the end. They just end up leaving me miserable. And Lord, I know that this life following you doesn't mean a life without pain and suffering because how, why would it when I'm following a man who went to a cross? But Lord, in the end, it leads to glory. In the end, it leads me to you. And you are better by far. So Lord, in here, in me, I make the decision ahead of time and I make the declaration, Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. And just about every week, we're saying a scripture that says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. If, you, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord, you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You'll have a new life. But we have to give the old life up. So Lord, I do that again now. I've done it so many times, but I keep going back to it. So right now I go back to all the old stuff and lay it down at the foot of the cross so that I can have the new life that only you can give. I'm sorry about this stuff that I've made it about, all the extras and the outside stuff that will all go anyway. I just want to serve you. I want, I want to follow you. I just want to know you. And Lord, I pray that somehow you'd use me in this broken and messed up world too to be an agent of hope and of help to other people and that you'd put your Holy Spirit inside of me because this is a broken world and it's full of broken hearted people and Lord if you can use anybody you can use me so I offer myself back to you now lead me and guide me and empower me and there may be people that you're praying for and uh, in this sin sick world need the comfort of a saviour the strength of God the hope that heaven and only heaven can bring so bring them to him in prayer name them before him if you want whether out loud or just between you and him And then here in Ivy, I'm thinking about a number of people, especially I'm still praying, Lord, for uh, Sharon and her family. For Hannah and Tim and all the rest of Dave's family. Praying for people I know who've who've lost children and people who would who carry all kinds of just tragedies in their lives and Lord especially today we pray for 
Cliff and Jane. And for Callum. And all their family. Well, thank you for, when I went around today, just the signs of your love of people just coming to the door. People coming with flowers or a card or a hug and each one of them, whether they know you or not, just coming as a sign of your love to that family. Thank you for the, the strength that they told me that they're, they're feeling when they're so weak because they know that people are praying for them and they're caring about them. Thank you for being kind to them, Lord. Thank you for helping them and, and being merciful. We ask you to keep on doing that in these days and weeks ahead. And Lord, again, we entrust Connor to you because you are Lord. As Ollie read to us before, you're the Lord of, of uh, yesterday, today and forever. You're the Alpha and the Omega. You hold the keys of death and death's domain. You've done it. You've won it. You have conquered the grave. You've opened up everlasting life when before you there was just everlasting death. But in your name, Jesus, we have hope. In your power, Lord Jesus, we have help. In your grace, Lord Jesus, we have strength. So I just want to take a moment while we're praying, Lord, just to bring this city to you, and especially as there's this Conservative Party conference that's taking place in the city, whatever our political views You've already told us, Lord, that we are to pray. First of all, for government, for kings, governments, and all those in authority, that we may be godly and quietly governed. Lord, we need that. We really need that, Lord. So please would you come across all the political parties, all the different divisions and all the hatred and hurt and anger and division that there is in our nation and be the prince of peace and show yourself to be the king again of this very divided ununited kingdom we don't know what to do Lord but our eyes are on you I thank you Holy Spirit that you're here I just sense your presence coming and filling our hearts and giving us hope and drawing close to us. Thank you that you're real, you're alive, you're here. And thank you, Lord, that when we pray, we meet with you and situations still do change and heaven does meet earth and the kingdom does come and we continue to pray as you've asked us to, our Father, that that would happen. Your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And everybody who agreed with this prayer says, Amen.
Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.